Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello, and this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. We've got a good list of items to bring to you today, like we always do, anywhere from on-field baseball to paper straws we're going to get you. And, of course, we'll end it with our with our uh, drug of the week here that we talk about that we're going to debunk. But before I bring in Sal, I just want to thank our audience. Uh, because of you, our almost 50,000 subscribers, and congratulations to Sal on this as well. Our shows have now been placed in, in part as a uh, as part of the iHeart Radio podcast network. So we're now part of iHeart Radio. Uh, new this week on Monday we started. So I want to congratulate our our co-hosts here and and uh, job well done. And just say thank you to our not just fifty thousand subscribers, but all seventy four countries for tuning in every show every week giving us great feedback. And because of you now, we can provide, continue to provide great feedback uh, from our shows to you every week. So Sal, thanks so much and congratulations to you. Well, well, thanks to you, Dave, for letting me be part of this uh, from its inception, which was great. And to see what you've done with it and allowed us to do with it and be a part of it has been great. So thank you. Oh, it's, it's, it's been fun and it's all taken some time, but we've got now, we, you know, as we mentioned a couple of shows ago, a week or so ago, we've got I was kind of waiting to infuse the sponsors until iHeart came in. It came in at the right time. So we'll start with the sponsors uh, in the upcoming weeks and uh, open our uh, Real Voices of the Game store so people can get merchandise and we'll have a lot of fun stuff. Uh, get out there and speak a little bit. We've got some great stuff in store for our audience. So we may take this show on the road. But um, got a great show f- uh, coming from you this week. And well, I figured we start with the the Yankees here. They're, gosh, 11 games out of the wild card, I think. and. Uh, Baltimore with their youth movement is is uh, ruling the roost there in the American League East. And Yankees dumped Donaldson a couple of days ago. They just put Bader on waivers. Looks like he's going to clear waivers. I think there, I heard there's at least six teams interested in his, acquiring his services. So they're dumping salary and uh, moving with the youth. Well, you know, I, again, we've talked about this offline. We've talked about this on our other show when we first started doing these uh, these podcasts. And really, if if there's a better example of how not to run a high-level organization, I think the Yankees are uh, the perfect example of that. They they have enough money to make mistakes that would, you know, the, the, the mistakes they make with, with salary just in those last couple of moves you, you talked about would crush many franchises, but the Yankees just keep churning on and printing money between the value of the team and the value of the Yes Network where they televise their games, they don't have a problem. So they can make all these mistakes. It's too bad, though, that they can't win. And, you know, their crosstown rivals, the Mets, are no better. But um, for some reason, the Yankees seem to to escape the, the harsh criticism as much. People live in the past a lot more with the Yankees, and that, that's a big get-out-of-jail-free, I guess. But I can't imagine that everyone else in charge of that operation wouldn't be out of a job. Dave, look at the NFL. I, you know, the NFL doesn't do everything right, but one of the great things about the NFL is everyone has the same budget. They have the same money to spend. There's no 
I can spend more and pay penalties, blah, blah, blah. That's all BS. They have the same board game kind of situation. And it's who's best at doing at playing the game and who's best at following the rules and doing what you need to do. If in three years a guy and and his staff doesn't get the job done from GM, vice president on down to the coaching staff, they're gone. Look at the Yankees. That's that's a, a decrepit, out of touch, failed hierarchy that they should sweep clean, but they're not. So I thought initially I wouldn't like the NFL model where they, you know, they I guess it's promoting parity. I always love that that dominant team. And I thought sports is better when there's a dominant team to chase. But I, I'm, I'm leaning toward it as well now. I, I think it's too easy to tank in, in baseball, too easy to tank in basketball. There's too many rewards for it. And, uh, you know, I, I would agree with you. I think the NFL model, because, the, you know, if you look at the NFL model, if you listen to guys like Bill Polian, who was, you know, the architect of the Indianapolis Colts way back when, and um, I think was with the Giants also in, in, in some capacity, but he's considered the GM to the stars. But Bill Belichick, these guys have to to work their salaries based on style of play. So if they're running a 4-3 defense, they're going to pay a certain amount for the linemen, a certain amount for the linebackers. And going from a 3-4, it values that position more. So it forces the alignment between owner, GM, and coach. You know, you know where money is spent and strategy for developing a roster is in sync. And I don't see that in baseball a lot. It seems to be just you know almost like a ready – would we say ready, fire, aim instead of ready, aim, fire? Yeah, it's backwards. It doesn't work, you know, and it's your record tells you what you are. I don't know who said that first. I remember Bill Parcells, I think, said it, but other people have. I don't know if he was the first, but I remember being popularized. You are as good as your record. Right. And uh, that's. No other, you know, you, you can make any other excuse. It's, it's. I think it's embarrassing. I'm a New York fan. I root for both teams. It's been awful this year for baseball. And most of my friends who are Yankee fans, I'm a Met fan. I have nothing to crow about. And it doesn't make me feel better that the Yankees are bad. You know, I'm the kind of fan that I'm a Jet fan. When the Jets and Giants play other teams, I root for them. When they play each other, I root for the Jets. Same thing with Mets and Yankees. I want them both to be good because it, it – it's why you have multiple teams in your in your city. It's so you can have baseball be important. Every night there's something on TV that you want to watch. Since, I don't know, since even before the summer really got going, both teams were already shot. It was It's depressing. My friends all agree with me in that, like I said, they're mostly Yankee fans. They're just as disappointed in the Mets being bad and not having that fun kind of competitive rivalry. They're both, who's going to be the worst? And it, 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 again, you don't watch games. I have watched, I had been on an upswing of watching baseball the last few years. And this year I probably went back to my pattern from five or six years ago. I've watched hardly any baseball. I, I, and I actually, I've watched more Yankees since they brought the young guys up. I know we, we chatted before the show about, and you said you weren't, uh, didn't know a ton about the young talent, but if you watch them, if you have a chance to sit down, I know it's, Disheartening. I've watched more Yankee Bay. In fact, they were on this, they're on right now, the afternoon game with Detroit. And, they, you know, they had Volpe up all year. He's starting to come into his own a little bit. Um, they had the kid uh, Peraza and Cabrera. They've been up and down, but Cabrera's playing third base. He's a real good defensive uh, – was a shortstop before they moved him over. And then, uh, you know, Cabrera, they've been moving him around quite a bit, but another shortstop they've got in the infield. And th- that trio, they're bringing up a kid, Austin Wells, uh, 
good lefty stroke. He's a catcher. And of course, Jason Dominguez, everybody's been waiting to, to watch him. He's the Martian, 21 years old. He's, they moved him up to AAA just recently. And, and then uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on the left fielder's name, Panera, I believe it is. But anyway, six, seven young guys really um, bringing some energy to the club, stealing bases, making plays in the field. It may give people something exciting to watch for the Yankees over the last few weeks anyway. And we've, we've heard, well, by we, I mean people in this area have heard for 25 years, well, New York fans won't stand for the rebuilding phase or won't stand for the no the nobodies on the lineup card. I got news for you. If the Yankees had a bunch of nobodies in the lineup card, but they were eight games in first place, that place would be packed every night. So it's nonsense to think that people would be disinterested because there's not big names. As a matter of fact, I think it gets to the point where there's so many big names, it dilutes the product and it's just not fun to watch because it just hasn't resulted in success. So th- for me, when when even when the Mets owner came in and, and talked about how much money they were going to spend and they were going to be competitive salary-wise with everybody, that didn't really make me feel great. And it, first year in, it hasn't had good results. And to your point about there needs to be more of a penalty for not doing well. I don't think we'll ever see the relegation schedule or system that they have in the Premier League, where if you finish at below a certain point, you're in the B League. But I think they have to get away from this division winner gets all these benefits for winning the division when it could be a crappy division. I know there's a little bit of an unbalanced schedule where the teams play, I believe, 13 or 14 games against the teams in their division. And then it's six or seven games in, against the other 10 teams. Uh, I don't think anyone would complain if you kept that schedule the same. But I think you should seed them, however many teams you want to put in the playoffs, seed them from one to, if it's six teams, one to six. You give a couple of buys to the two best records, whether they're in the, the same division or not. It shouldn't matter. To me, if you have a great first place team that's better than everybody in the league and that second place team is two games behind and has a better record than the leader in the other divisions, they should be ranked higher because they've beaten better teams. So I, 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 and they have a better record regardless. I I don't think these teams that are at or below 500 should get any sway when it comes to any playoff structure in any league. And that's not just baseball, but since we're talking baseball. Yeah. That's that's, that's the part I don't like about the leagues. Fans will say they like it because their team's in contention longer. I prefer less teams in the playoffs and uh, more exclusivity over, but I think I'm in the minority. Well, we've I- had a devaluation of the regular season in pretty much every sport with the exception of, I would say, college football <coughs> and maybe pro football. Basketball, everybody makes it. Hockey, everybody makes it. Baseball, you have enough teams that make it that there's not so much tension and it's not that much pressure on these teams to, to be really good, not just to be okay. And the other thing about the Yankees, Dave, is how many years are they going to go through this nonsense with their players missing time for substantial time for soft tissue injuries, whether it's calf, oblique, groin, how many calf strains did we have? I believe it was Harrison Bader the last couple of years had oblique and calf injuries that kept him out. He came to the team hurt with plantar fasciitis, which is the inflammation of the fascia in your foot, bottom of your foot. And when he did play, he played well. This year he was hurt. There's legion number of Yankees that have been hurt and never 
were able to manifest performance on the field based on their reputations. Stanton's been hurt. He's been terrible. That's the story of his life. You know, I mean, so you got these these guys and the Yankees aren't doing them any favors with however they're handling them. So that's another piece of the puzzle where it's a failure for them. I want to I want to get get to that, too, because you sent me something on Instagram, I think, is, is something important for our young audience to hear. But uh, I know you being a Mets fan now coming into the season, Verlander, Scherzer. Now they sell them both. They're paying more money to have them pitch somewhere else. And now the word on the street is Pete Alonso is going to be on the trade block. I've seen that story. I just disgusts me. It No one is Tom Seaver. But when I was a kid, when the Mets traded Tom Seaver, to me, that was the end of it for for a while. I, I did not co- come back around to watch baseball, especially Mets, for four or five years. Because that was at that point in life where you have your sports idols and they traded him into me. That was even at the time you recognized how cheap the Mets were with that that ownership with Peyton, Joan Payton, I believe, was the the head of the team, and I believe M. Donald Grant was the GM. Just the worst of the worst, and you're you're at the same spot. If you train Pete Alonso, who, for whatever his downside is, he's still the star of the team. He's someone that the fans really like. I think, from my standpoint, it seems like he's a fan favorite. If they trade him or get, you know, if they get rid of him and, and um, for whatever reason, it'll turn me off even more. As I said, I got by with watching very little baseball this year. I, I could make it easily through the next few summers and not watch baseball. Yeah, I, I can honestly say I don't think I've tuned in the Mets once. I did see where, uh, and this is probably more our era, Gooden and Strawberry are going to have their, their numbers retired. Yeah, I mean, that's what loser – Franchises do, though. They have to go to nostalgia. They have to rely on nostalgia to get people to pay attention. To me, that's great, but it would be better if they were in first place and you could do it. Why do it when they're in last place and no one wants to be there? That's, to me, depressing for the players. And it's just a sign of a loser franchise as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they're trying to get people's attention. It's a it's a marketing ploy to get them back in. I did see where Spencer Strider, the Atlanta Braves young star, is about to pass Gooden or equal Gooden with the fastest uh, pitcher to 400 strikeouts, I think it was. So people forget how dominant Gooden was early in his career. Uh, he he was, was, uh, it was, again, must-see TV at a, le- a level that p- people today – I love Jacob DeGrom, but there were all those comments on – Social media, the most dominant pitcher ever. DeGrom did it in a blink of an eyelash. He's, there's no consistency to his performance. He His statistics are embarrassingly weak, aside from the statistics that point to the domination that he exhibited when he pitched. But the, the benchmark for that is Sandy Koufax, and DeGrom can't sniff what Koufax did. So to, to try to claim in some way that the DeGrom – is a victim of his of his injuries and is is again somehow the most dominant pitcher of all time or as as dominant as some of the great the greats is just ignorance at a level that is hard to even discuss when you look at you know his innings per per season he never threw more than 217 innings i mean he threw he's thrown 1300 1350 innings in his career that is a fraction of the of the, the amount of pitches some of the all-time greats have thrown who who displayed dominance like that. 
So, you know, you have a guy again who is not going to get 100 wins in his career and and barely started over 200 games. That that's barely 20 a year for him. So, yeah. you know, there's the dominance there was it was cool to watch, but to in, in a historical prof- or historic perspective, there's nothing about DeGrom that comes close to the greats. Even a guy like Ron Guidry, who a lot of people underestimate. And again, I'm not a Yankee uh, fanboy, but he had another one of those careers where he had a great eight or nine years in an era where you had other dominant pitchers who were just monsters. But he did it more than a, a DeGrom did. But, yeah. you know, you look at a Koufax, Koufax with a bad arm, was still throwing, you know, 250. He threw 300 innings three times in his career. So these guys today won't even barely sniff 200 innings. Yeah. Now, DeGrom's career is like four years for Koufax in yeah. terms of innings pitched. And, yeah, I find it. I find DeGrom just a, a level above the Mark Pryors and Kerry Woods of the world. He lasted a little bit longer. Yeah. Those and guys, he, was, yeah. he was better. I mean, Kerry Wood had a couple of good starts. I don't think he had even a, a good season. I might be wrong. But the, the astronomical or the amazing stats about guys like Koufax that, and, and pitchers of that era, again, DeGrom was lucky to get 21, 22 starts a year. Koufax averaged 30. And the last two years of his career when he was really dealing with pain in every start, he started 41 games his last two years. So that's a four-man ro- uh, rotation, right? That's a guy going every fourth day. And yeah. he had an ERA. Uh, basically, those two years, his ERA was combined under two earned run a game. Yeah. So that's amazing. No one no one touches that. You can't, you can't touch that with anybody today. We had this um, – one of the guys on – when, when, uh, when uh, Will – texted us that Robin Roberts had 28 consecutive complete games right in one, in one season or it might have been yeah it was 28 because we looked it up Verlanders had 26 complete games in his entire career and Kershaw I believe has 25 so the, you have to put in context the greatness those guys had and I don't want to hear about the other conditions of the game they they threw those innings and they accomplished what they accomplished against guys who were Hall of Famers, both in at that were in the batter's box too. So, yeah. and it was like you said, it was for the most part they did four man rotations, and in between starts they would pitch BP. Yeah, and and again, those again, not to make this all about Sandy Koufax, but if you're going to talk about a dominant performance in a short period of time, Koufax those last two years, which again he talked about what he had to do, what they had to do to prepare him to be able to pitch. He he threw 335 and 323 innings his last two years. Oh, to me, comparing another pitcher to Sandy Koufax is like comparing a sitcom to Seinfeld. It just but, but, Yeah, but good. sometimes you have to when people make these idiotic proclamations that a guy like Jason DeGrom, who was a great pitcher, and I love the guy, was – but you can't – that's what a, a great pitcher, a dominant pitcher when you bring up all-time – dominance i don't care if it's for one or two or four seasons it's against that standard not against the unfortunately for him not against the degrom standard oh i i agree i and i i want you to you talked about the soft tissue injuries and we always talk about and we're talking about now the the, the fragility of these pitchers nowadays you sent me an instagram 
post or private message, which which we go back and forth with throughout the week, which I enjoy um, about how gym classes used to be. And in and, and our very first episode, we talked about way, way back when, when we started the round table, we talked about this and it was actually the sniper position, I believe. Yes. The catchers. But you sent, it was a, it was like a highlight film of what gym classes used to be like with the climb, just kind of, then we don't have to go deep into it, but remind our audience, like what gym classes used to be like, why they were that way and how that kind of has affected our, uh, I guess our overall athletic prowess, even as professional athletes. Well, the phys ed standards of the day were driven by the military and what their requirements were because everyone was going through the draft. So you had to, at some level, have a feeder system. And JFK was the uh, was the one who had the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. Now, when I was in junior high school, which was from 75 to 77, right? I was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. That's what it was when I went to school. We had... Uh, we, we, our phys- physical education system was run by that model and you had the president's award and then you had stars and gold shorts, which got you to the certain point. And then if you achieved the highest level, you got to wear what they called the gold shorts. And it was at a time where if you, again, look at the bodies in this video, you don't see 10 kids in a group of a hundred that have, uh, the bodies of these kids in the 60s. And there were 4,000 high schools that follow what's called the La Sierra's physical fitness program, which again, which was used as the model. And it was just to prepare youth for the rigors of life and ultimately to be drafted. And it was all very basic stuff, pull-ups, push-ups, bar dips, sit-ups, standing broad jump, shuttle run, rope climb, a variety of calisthenics. Older people know for uh, older people will know from that, like what a Jack LaLanne TV show phys ed class was before you have all these apps and stuff you could see on social media. Jack LaLanne had a TV show that was on, I believe, every day for either a half hour or an hour. That was a series of calisthenics and other exercises that you could do without equipment. Maybe there were there was a dumbbell here and there. I remember I grew up in Queens in an apartment and I remember my mom watching and doing exercises and me doing some of those things. So there were all these things that were expected of everybody. There was no excuses for, oh, well, he's too overweight. He can't do it. This kid can't do it. He has asthma. This kid can't do it. He had whatever other reason the parents would write a note for, which has become part of how things are done. And I will say I had, I was as severe asthmatic as a kid. It wasn't an excuse for not getting through these physical education requirements, which is why I was a successful athlete. It was the support I got despite my condition, not being denigrated, but I got support through it and was still able to do and perform at the highest level. So there is a way it can be done. And it, it all starts with the diet, which we've talked about on, on shows now going back months. It all starts with diet and it continues with a, a physical education routine that will supplement and support your diet so that working together, you're going to be in phenomenal shape. Yeah. We, uh, and again, I just started getting on Facebook in January and we had some, some of the former athletes at the high school I went to were reminiscing about our, our phys ed teacher who happened to be the football coach, the basketball, uh, baseball coach, the wrestling coach. And, uh, 
you know, the, the things that we would have to do back then, we, we kind of laughed about it, about how kids would get crushed nowadays having to do even the warmups we did. And we kind of joked, and I apologize if this is offensive, but um, I think they were talking about the, we were joking about the ghost runner on second with baseball. And you're like, can you imagine trying to get away with that and coach Erickson's gym class, even with like kickball? Right. And I said, yeah, you would have got, you would have got paddled and then called honey for the rest of the class if you asked to do that. And then, um, but for warmups, for gym class, we had to climb the rope. And, uh, and some of us had to do it. I remember part of mine was he would make kids that were more advanced athletically. He made it harder. We used to have to sit at the bottom of the rope, legs straight out. So it's a night, your body's 90 degrees and climb it that way. No feet with your legs sticking straight out, get to the top and you climb back to the bottom and do it a couple of times. I think it was like three times. And that was warm up. That was called warm up. I can't imagine a kid doing that today. No, you're not allowed. In New Jersey, I believe they did away with ropes because they felt they were unfair. So it's interesting they don't do away, although they really are. But in curriculum, they don't do away with the hard math class. Actually, they are doing that now. So the ridiculousness that started with phys ed, where they were trying to dumb it down for the kids who couldn't do it, we're actually doing that in the classroom. That's a whole other show. And it's, you know, beyond the purview of our discussion. But the, the bottom line is the meritocracy in the classroom and in the phys ed space has been done away with in the efforts to not offend anybody and tell people they're, you know, heavier than they're supposed to be. And it, it seems to be interesting. One last thing on this, and I've been, meet, I've been thinking about this. For some reason, the overweight male is still a target of some, uh, a target of criticism. However, the overweight female, it's hands off. So I just think that if we're going to if we're going to have, again, equality and have equal treatment and give people the same kind of considerations, I don't understand why the overweight woman is being glorified. And in many cases, you never see an overweight guy being glorified. They're usually the, the butt of a joke or a caricature used for humor. So I just think that's another ridiculous inconsistency. And it's ridiculous for you to tell people that the person who is severely overweight is somehow as healthy as the person who is not. So. I think we lost Sal here for a second. We'll get him back as, as we're going here. But, um, you know, as, as Sal was talking about with the the PE and then he was talking about the math class, it, it's a war on meritocracy right now. And I think that's that should be alarming for everybody, not just athletically, but academically. But uh, we, we need to get away from that. We need to start valuing those people that are wanting to do things the right way, wanting to put the time in and, uh, and, and really uh, get back to where merit-based uh, merit-based performance is, is really rewarded. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know if you heard this, but what I had said is- the, There we go. We got you back. Yeah, I don't know if you heard this, but I did say the you could cut it out or it'll be a repeat, but the overweight male is still a target of humor and scorn and derision, whereas the overweight female somehow is being represented as empowering. And it's really doing nobody a favor. If you're telling me that the, the obviously overweight female- is as healthy as the female who is not, that's not how reality works. You can't be that fit and that healthy and be that overweight. It's just the bottom line. 
if that's your choice, that's fine. You shouldn't be made fun of for that. But don't tell me that that person is the same as the as the person who is not overweight and who does all the right things. So that that's let's end that because we could go down the rabbit hole on that subject. Oh no, and I don't know if you could hear my kind of my my comments on yours. Just it was uh, there, there's a war on meritocracy out there. You, you hit it on the math class, the gym class, and I think we and now the you know the overweight male, overweight female. I think we've got to get back to you know rewarding people who are doing things the right way and and want to be you know healthy, want to you know want to do well athletically, want to do well academically. I think we've gotten so far away from that right now that it's it's causing a problem. So. With that, I'll tell you what I want to hit on right now. Yeah. Paper straws. Yeah, I was thinking that. So that's perfect because here we have another incident, instance, whichever is your favorite word or your preferred word, of being told by this quote, the quote, so-called experts, paper straws are going to be better than plastic. Well, guess what? Scientists now say eco-friendly utensils contain potentially toxic chemicals and are just as bad for the environment as plastic versions. Now, Dave, could you see that one coming really? Yeah. And then not to the fact that it also tastes like garbage when you drink out of the paper straw, it breaks down and you end up swallowing half the paper, but yeah, could we see it coming? Absolutely. It's, it's just, there's so much inconsistency. There's another, here, another incident, an incident of, of inconsistency and, and nonsense with this this quote concept of being able to allow for every impact on the environment that's possible and how it's all negative. Planet Fitness, I love Planet Fitness. I have a membership there. It allows me to go to any of their locations. 99% of them have been great. Haven't had a bad one yet. They have a policy that most people have in the bathrooms where instead of paper towel, they have the hand blowers, right? And there's a, a sign on the hand blower that tells you how great you're, you're being because you're not using paper towel and how many trees are destroyed by X amount of paper towel and how that kills the environment. That, that's all you're supposed to be feeling good about yourself because you use the hand blower. However, on the training floor, they would have, and they're all pretty much the same side size. There's about 20 stations that have paper towel dispensers and spray bottles so you could wipe down the machinery. So back before everyone was irrationally frightened by COVID, you would wipe down a machine, you'd use your towel, you'd sometimes not wipe down a machine, it wasn't the end of the world. Now you have people wiping down machines way more than you have washing their hands and drying them with paper towel in the bathroom. And what are people doing now? They are taking paper towel from the stands that are on the training floor, bringing them into the bathroom when they wash their hands and drying their hands with the paper towel. So you have this whole nonsensical feel good movement. Oh, we're going to use air dryers for your hands. When at the end of the day, you have 20 stations of two each paper towel dispenser. So you have 40 paper towel dispensers on the floor that people are using constantly to wipe off every seat and handle and grip after every rep and every set. So yeah, they're, they're creating way more paper usage than they had before. And they have no problem with the, you said you used to use towels, right? That's what I remember. You spray it down, you use your either personal towel or club towel. 
and throw yeah, it. Some people bring their own towels. I bring a small hand towel. But, you know, everyone's fallen into this fear of germs to the extent that you're going to get sick immediately if you sit on a seat that someone else sat on. Totally ridiculous. But yet, nonstop, people are wiping down. Nonstop. It's a great, it's a, it's a clean place. That, don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. But don't tell me, I don't care that that's the way things are. But don't tell me you're being good for the environment because in the bathroom, you have two air hand dryers that are supposedly cutting back on paper towel use. It's just totally ridiculous. Yeah. No, they're going to use them anyway. They're, and they, Now, going back to those paper straws, when they say they're, they're bad, is, are they saying they're bad for the environment or bad health-wise? Both. There's toxic, there's toxic residual or, or potentially, that's the other weasel word, potentially toxic chemicals in them, which obviously can't be good if you're drinking water through a plastic straw from a plastic or paper straw from a plastic cup that has forever chemicals in it. Yeah. And then it, it doesn't, it's no good when it degrades in the environment. And the it's, other, you know, again, one of the other big scams that have been perpetrated on us is these, when you recycle your plastic, I think it's less than, I think it's single digits of that stuff that actually gets recycled. That stuff is mostly shipped off overseas to dumps and it winds up in the water system somehow. They get dumped somehow. It doesn't even get into landfill. So the whole thing is a scam. I remember seeing on, even on, not to go back to Shark Tank, I tend to do all my business uh, commentary based on my watching of Shark Tank. But I remember uh, when different types of people would come on pushing the paper straws. And now that it's potentially toxic, which I laugh at, I think toxicity is a binary state, right? It either is or it isn't. Right. But um, th- it would cost significantly more as well to implement the paper straw as opposed to the plastic straw, not just from a, well, from a marketing standpoint too, because you have to sell it, but also from just a pure product standpoint. Well, most of these remedies cost more. So look at the uh, electric vehicle that costs more to buy, costs more to maintain, costs more to charge, uh, has a bigger carbon footprint overall than uh, a traditional automobile, but yet we've we've been told it's a a viable alternative and it's not. So Again, so, we're, we're, we're in an age, Dave, where what we're being told now, you can almost rest assured that the opposite of what we're being told is true. I draw a line down and I used to, <laughs> I use this in recruiting, but I now use it in life. Anytime I'm talking to, uh, I guess, coaches with players that are pushing, I have my handful of guys and, and women that I trust, but when someone's trying to sell me on a player, I did this as a, as a college coach for, for a lifetime. I draw a line down the middle of the paper. And the only notes I take is how are they lying to me? That goes on the left. And then on the right is how are they lying to themselves? And that's how I watch uh, the news now. And, and uh, even 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 sports news, uh, the ESPNs of the world, that type of stuff. None of, I don't believe any of it anymore. Nope. I mean, there's, there's no reason to. When you look at even what we're being told now as we're ramping up to this new variant of COVID that they're trying to scare people back into masks and who knows what else that you, you, you don't see numbers, Dave, but you see scare tactics and scare phrases like cases are doubling. The problem is some of the stories I've read that included the actual raw data will include the fact that you had two cases last week and you had four cases this week. <laughs> You're saying cases are doubling. It sounds uh, like my, my daughter, my daughter describes things to me like that way. My, my 10 year old. Yeah, it, 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 it's ridiculous. And 
again, when you read these stories and there's not the data of actual numbers, but they're talking in generalities, doubling 50% more on the rise without numbers. If it was one last week and it's two this week, is it on the rise? Yes. But are you talking about a city with the population of 100,000 people or even 50,000 people? That's infinitesimal. So they're going to run this this whole scam again. And let's see who falls for it. There's a great line from one of the, I think it's the second Oceans movie, or it might be the third movie, where they talk about they're running out of money and they need to, to finish this this project, which is part of the scam they're pulling. And, and they say, well, why don't we just do what we did the first time? And one of the one of the guys in the crew says, you, you can't run the same scam tri- twice. You got to come up with the new thing. But we're so dumb here. And we've had so many people be put into a position of subservience that it, we are going to fall for this again. I hope not. I'll tell you my phrase, resist or cease to exist. One of those one of those two. And I, I someone I, I shared this. Actually, I think I put it on our group text. Um we were in North Carolina last weekend for a tournament. And I'll tell you what, we're not too far from the board, but what two different states. I mean, everybody was wearing masks um, nonstop. I even had a gentleman come up to me and, and I was looking to get waters for the, my girls are playing soccer, come up to me in there and said, uh, are you, are you kidding me? And uh, I thought he was talking about the price of waters. I'm like, ah, it's normal. And he's like, you don't think it's important for you to wear a mask? And I kind of walked close to him kind of quietly and I said, would you like to try to put one on me? And uh, he, di- he didn't bite. He wasn't interested in trying to put one on me. And, uh, That's badass. Yeah, he walked. I felt like uh, either Dirty Harry or Clint Eastwood, one of those. Uh, yeah. But didn't raise my voice. That's not my my style. I, I, I kind of, my wife says, I'm, I give the, uh, this, I have an angry resting face. So she said, that's scary enough when you that say things quietly. People away, yeah. Well, even, you know, there's a story, there was a story today about John McEnroe can't do commentary at the U.S. Tennis Open. Because he's got COVID. Well, here's another guy that was vaxxed and boosted up the wazoo, and he's gonna he's gonna miss the entire two weeks of the open. I think that is a well placed story so that it gets into the media cycle and people start talking about it and, and they think, Oh, here we go. Now a guy like that, he's got it. We've gotta be careful. And it's all bull crap. It's all for show and it's all to push this next round of whether it's shutdown, masks, more vaccines, which we've already heard about. That's not a rumor. They're talking about doing more vaccines. It's mystifying to me. The New Jersey State Department of Health is advertising you have to go out and get your your boosters and you should get your vaccine if you haven't been. It's as if the last two years where people dropped dead and getting re- reinfected have not happened to them. It's as if they didn't say any of it and like nothing ever happened. We're just going to keep plowing right ahead. Oh, it's knuckle knucklehead stuff. I, I go back to my favorite line and, and uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff we talk about with Moneyball with the negativity, with the analytics and all that stuff, but it's got a great line in there. Brad Pitt who plays Billy Bean. They're sitting at the table and they're talking about a young minor leaguer saying he's, you know, he's a good hitter, good hitter does all this. And he's like, well, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? And I kind of do that with the the vaccine, with the face face mask there. If they if they uh, if the vax works, then why isn't it working? And- well, yeah, and if it works for you, then what do you like? If that idiot in the store had his mask on, and if it works for him, what does he care what you do? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, it's it like a- to be honest with you, I wear my seatbelt because whether whether or not it really makes a difference, it makes me feel okay. If you don't want to wear your seatbelt, it doesn't affect my seatbelt, so I don't care. That's right. Same thing here, and and it's just. It's a weird place we're in, but again, I don't want to go into the societal implications because we are down on, we're on the downside, whether you want to use the Roman Empire as, a, as the uh, comparison, but it's depressing to think about where we're headed and in the next couple of years, we'll have a better idea, but I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that it's going to continue in its current trend. So I think we should wrap it up here. We've talked every week or the last couple of weeks, we've talked about our vaccine, needless vaccine of the week. Yep. And the attempt by Big Pharma to get everybody under this umbrella of vax, 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 and without really needing, without really having good reason for it. The one I saw that really has been, Bugging me, it got my interest. I saw it again last night for the millionth time again during the U.S. Open between the pharmaceutical commercials and oh, we lost Sal for a second here again. On I'm our wrap recording. up here with I shingles, my recording line. I'm still recording. See if we can get him back. See it. So, hello. Hold tight with this audience here. We're trying to get some technical difficulty here. I want to hear Sal's debunk of the week here on shingles and uh, see what's, see if we can tune them back in. But uh, hope you go through so some of our I'm notes. Take it from with, here. Uh, I'm going to keep talking with what we talked about today. We're starting from the, <laughs> the Yankees to paper straws to that I have seen advertised nonstop uh, during you know gives the, you a lot, uh, of, lot to chew on and, and really dive into that gym class broadcasts when I think it's a and it's a, shingles it's a is basically of how our society's going. We've got a to get version back of to the chicken pox or it's chicken shape. pox that you had but, uh, as a younger see person. See if we get Sal back on here in a second. Reactivated with, uh, as an adult, and it's actually some difficult. It's actually technically called if herpes not, we may have to wrap here and get the shingles next week. And but, the herpes um, zoster is caused Sal, by this here, reactivation of what the well, I think uh, we'll go into with, the with technical that, I think formal we'll, name. We'll wrap that. We'll pick up with that, the virus the, that causes we'll chickenpox. We'll double up next week on so the uh, debunk of the week. Once you have chickenpox, that infection but, uh, remains with that. Just want to thank our audience here or with episode two sixty nine. A hot corner with Coach Sal. Sorry for a little bit of technical difficulty a couple times in the show. But now the CDC is We're recommending that adults fifty years and older at the same time. get two doses still of the shingle full slate of shows this week. Called Shingrix. Thank you to our audience, 50,000 subscribers, uh, 74 countries and growing, helped us uh, not just keep our standing with Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, but now we are part of iHeartRadio's podcast network because of you. We'll keep bringing you great content like we do every week here at the Hot Corner with Coach uh, Sal and all nine of our other shows here. We hope you tune in next week. We'll have that this uh, full slate again next week with KFT back in the swing again with, with her show. She goes every two on weeks. The we had Joe Frazero, who was off this week. We don't He'll get any back context again to those numbers. Well, um, thanks Usually again to our audience. Please make sure you follow Coach Sal on Instagram. Send us done, any messages that you think are that. fit because you drive so our shows here. And anything you send us, we'll make sure that we cover. With that, have a great weekend. And this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, Real Voices of the Game about two anywhere from two to six months apart and, and again if you want if you're a younger adult and you had chicken pox and you have a weakened immune system because of disease or any other conditions you should also get the shingles
Christian Grace. Uh, you should get it. They're recommending you get the Shingrix. If you've had shingles, if you receive Zostafax, which is another medication, and if you read, if you've received the chicken pack pox vaccine. So, they're telling you, even if you've had the shingles, you get this shot, and it will prevent you from getting it again. Obviously, 